2: Hey, it's a great day. We're joined by Susie Larson, talk show radio host, best selling author, and speaker to talk about the presence of God. And later, we're also joined by Andre Henry. He's a musician writing about resilience and revolution. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co host, Brian Fromm. We are so glad. You are with us today. How you doing, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday Brian?
1: Tuesday me. I'm good. I'm <laughs> good. good. It is, uh, man, does it feel like summer's starting to wind down. you uh, got a kid back in school. Uh, kids are back in sports. We're starting to think about. the
2: weather's kind of been yucky. Although, i got to tell you this. I know, you know, it's boring <laughs> to talk about weather on the radio, but this is breaking news. I looked on the weather app this morning, Brian. It says next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow, 113. I don't. Somebody
1: else posted that. that like, I think that's is, a typo. This app
2: needs an update.
1: I'm pretty sure that's a typo. The morning was
2: like 60. <laughs> that, you it would be like, like, something a pretty big. Like I
1: also saw our friend John Benedict, uh tweeted that out as well. Oh, and funny! I think I, I, I'm pretty sure that is a that is a mistake. We'll I see. mean,
2: we'll see what happens. Hey, all that's
1: going on in the world right now. weather Otherwise, you, you never do. Know, yeah, but that was pretty. I caught... Call- Paint me surprised if we get to the (laughs) afternoon next Wednesday of our show and are going, whoa, Whoa. it's a scorcher out there. That's 113. (laughs) All
3: right. All
2: right, Brian. I saw this uh, from Pew, some Pew research. I thought it was really, really interesting. You may have heard this before, but uh, according to research, Gen Z – will be the last generation with a white majority in the U.S. Mm. Around 2045, there's some updated uh, U.S. census data predictions, of course, that um, Gen Alpha, which I'm not, I guess Gen Alpha is post-2012. So they're born 2013.
1: I've lost it. I I need a cheat sheet on these. Right,
2: right. Gen Alpha is going to be the first majority minority or minority majority generation in the United States of America. So they're saying that uh, the aging is not race neutral, which I think is really, really fascinating. Um, But what's interesting is that that is causing, as you'd expect, kind of this cultural generation gap. And uh, part of the diversity explosion, like the older generation you know, feels a certain way about it or is experiencing a certain way. And so there's this gap between baby boomers and the younger generations. Again, according to Pew Research,
1: I might be putting you on the spot here. Yeah. So if you if you don't know the answer to this, you can just say, uh, does this mean that um, that white people will not be the majority or they will not be more than more than collectively all other races, do you know what I mean? like does yes. this mean white people won't be fifty percent plus one or another uh cultural group, another race will have gone even higher? Does that make
2: sense? Yes, w- ask the question again this, I just said it made sense, and then I said say it again is
1: this uh statistic white people versus all other groups combined, or are we talking? You know, African-American or Hispanics or Asian-American have now they're more than white people.
2: Yes, that's what I understand. And it's it's specifically Hispanics and Asians are now going to have an increasingly strong thread in the social fabric of the United States. So there will now be a minority majority Gotcha. Does that make sense? So I it is a think, little
1: bit of a, of a I think
2: what you're I think what you're I think mm-hmm. without being a Pew researcher, what you're saying is right. OK. Yeah, I think what you're saying is right. So, um, again, according to Pew, they're saying that baby boomers came of age at a moment when the United States was becoming more insular than it had before. Growing up mostly white in segregated suburbs, white baby boomers had less exposure to immigrants and foreign wars than their parents did. I think that's kind of interesting. Between 1946 and 1964, the years of the baby boom, the immigrant share of the U.S. population shrank to an all time low under five percent. The immigrants who did arrive were largely white Europeans. Although baby boomers were interested in righting domestic wrongs, such as racial discrimination and busting glass ceilings in the workplace, they didn't have much interaction with people from other countries. So, of course, now there's this cultural generational gap, which continues over time. So, I I mean, I don't know really what the conversation is. I just think it's fascinating. Well, why
1: does I guess uh, I was actually going to ask you this? This is important. Yeah. And it is fascinating. uh, But
2: yes, last generation. With white majority in the U.S. will be Gen Z. So, yes, that answers your question, going back to that.
1: I guess my question is, what's the takeaway here? And one of them for me is, uh, it just keeps raising the bar for, if we're going to be this diverse. Yeah, Yep we better do a really good job of being able to live well in this diversity in well, this I, change. yeah,
2: I think it's interesting. Like if you kind of step back and think about this from almost a supernatural perspective, like what is God doing? Mm-hmm. Like what's the shape of the church going to be and how can we find unity that Paul even talks about between the Gentiles and the Jews? Like how can the church be at the forefront of unity, even in generation gaps right and even in ethnic gaps like i think that's going to be interesting to see how gen alpha sort of shapes the way that we have conversation engage with one another and while there are some of those growing pains like how the spirit of god leads the church in this i i'm very interested i hope you and i are al- around long enough to kind of see some of this in action we're gonna yeah. be old then in 2045 brian it's also
1: weird to think how things change because yeah If you, again, not a sociologist, and this just has to do with birth rates, right? right? But if you're a majority in one generation, it would stand to reason that you would, the only way not to remain the majority is one birth rate way out does the other. It's just weird to think about. It's interesting. Uh,
2: Yeah, it's interesting. This is why we
1: have social social scientists and social sociologists in the world. But it is also important for the church to recognize, um, you know, not what do you do with changing demographics, but how does this, like you said, how is this um, something that God is up to? And also, how do we celebrate this? How does this change the landscape of the church? What does the conversation look like for what you call them? Gen Alpha. Not you called them, but the article Gen, Gen Alpha. Alpha. What will it be for Gen Alpha when we're the old people who, yes. aren't, who aren't driving things right. anymore? Like You and I are in the generation now that it's kind of in that spot where we're driving things a little bit, Yeah. right? Yeah. But then you move on. You become older yes. and the next generation does. And yes. it'll be interesting to see how this changes uh, the church, the country, politics, everything. It'll, it's going to be fascinating.
2: So my, I'm thinking about my youngest son. He was born in 2011. So I guess he's still technically Gen Z, but he's going to be right on the margin there of being Gen Alpha, mm-hmm. which is – anyway – such a fascinating, it's a fascinating name, if nothing else. All right. Coming up next, we are joined by Susie Larson. Susie Larson is a best-selling author. She's a speaker. She's a radio host. She's got a new book out today about the presence of God. Where is God when you need him most? We're going to talk with Susie about that and more when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We are so thrilled because we're joined by, you know, a radio host extraordinary, but also someone who I consider as kind of a friend. Mm. Like our lives have intertwined over the years. <laughs> Susie Larson, she's a talk radio host, she's a best-selling author, she's a speaker, and she's writing right now an answer to a really relevant question: Where is God mm. when you need him most? And mm. she says that God is closer than your next breath in her book that comes out next week with Thomas Nelson. Susie, thanks so much for being here with us. Aubrey, it's
3: awesome to be with you. Thanks so much for having Mm -hmm.
2: me. And I realize I just said the book comes out next week, but it comes out today. So congratulations, congratulations. Susie. Perfect timing. (laughs) It's your book's birthday. This is amazing. (laughs) Time to throw the confetti. There you go. All right. So uh, closer than your next breath, where is God when you need him most? Why did you decide to write this book, Susie?
3: You know, there's an analogy that I heard. I I came to... Christ as a teenager, but after some pretty horrific trauma as a childhood at the hands of some boys in my neighborhood, so I wasn't raised in a home uh, denomination, I should say, where um, the gospel was preached. A big family, I was in a denomination where I knew God was real, but I really didn't know Jesus was accessible. So, mm-hmm. I will tell you though, as a child, I had a sense of His presence. I did. I I knew He was real. And then uh, I won't get into it too deeply, but as as a child when I was about nine, you know, I was pinned down by some teenage boys and for sexual assault and mm. got up from that uh, trauma, obviously traumatized. And my dad was the mayor of our town for mm. like 27 years and wow. a very public man. So I, in my little nine year old brain, didn't know if that would bring, you know, something on his name and so i just held that till i was about 18 but it opened up a canyon of fear and insecurity then when i was 10 years old i was coming home from school and i was jumped by a different group of boys Mm. and knocked me to the ground and they beat me Mm. and i'm i mean i lived in the normal suburbs but it was like i was walking across the baseball field they jumped out of the dugout knocked me to the ground and punched and kicked and pulled Oh. oh gosh and laughed as they did, you know, uh, and I I know in my adult brain, they were high on something because when they were done, they pushed off of me and kind of laughed and walked away. And I had scratched a face and a fat lip and I got up and my bell was so wrong. I was so traumatized. And I heard in my ear, I can get you anytime, anywhere and God will never stop me. Oh. And at that point I knew the devil was real, you know? And so hmm. I had so much fear, so much insecurity. So even when I came to Christ as a young teen, I would say I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And in the years later, there were moments when God broke through uh, in really hard times in my life and just confirmed his love. And if you look at scripture, even when you see like the manifest presence of God, so often when he's breaking through and intersecting our lives where you're like, I know that was God, I'm not Mm -hmm. smart enough to come up with that on my own. So often those places and times are when he's addressing issues like lordship or identity or upgrading your faith and that kind of thing. And when you jump ahead to my story, Aubrey knows this already, but as a young mom, I was on bed rest for six months with mm-hmm. a high risk pregnancy with a one and a three year old. And one day, my docs let me get up to see if I could get up and have lunch with a, some college roommates to see if I could not contract. I was in, back in bed that night, but two weeks from that outing, with three months left to go on bed rest, uh, my face started to go numb and my arms started to prickle and neurological fireworks started to go off in my body. And a uh, long story short, uh, after three more months of bed rest, delivering our third son, my health plummeted and mm. found out a year later that that one day up, I was bit by a deer tick, not knowing I contracted Lyme oh
2: disease. Awesome.
3: And once again, I hear in my ear, I can get you anytime. You know, God would never stop me. I, I've written a number of books on those, you know, on fear, on yeah. health, inner healing, all these things. But this book to me was one of those moments when God breaks through, you know, his presence is everything, but what the young believer In the times in between is when I would panic, like, oh, oh, did he change his mind about me or did he go away? Did he lose my address? So (laughs) the whole point of this book is to help you know you're tethered to a good God, whether you can feel him or not, whether you can sense him or not. And the more you get to know his character, the more it'll heal your soul, We're rightly we read your circumstances and seasons because we misjudge God, we misjudge ourselves when we forget who he is and thus who we are. Wow.
1: Oh, it's so powerful, wow. Susie. Again, the book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? And obviously so much about the book, Susie, is about God's presence and the importance of God's presence. And you ask a really um, important question. Can we chase God's presence? What's our role? How mm. do we... For lack of a better way of saying it, get into God's presence.
3: Mm, I love that question. You know, I'm sure you've heard this, both of you working in media, but I've heard plenty of, of people say, you know, it's not even biblical to ask for more of God's presence because he's omnipresent. And mm. I would beg to differ. I, mm. I would say, no matter how long you've walked with God, you hold the Dixie cup and the ocean remains, mm. you know, his understanding knows no limit. I'm trying to imagine if you told your child, they went, they're like, I want to go to the ocean. And you give them a Dixie cup. Here it is. This is, this <laughs> is the ocean. I want more of the ocean, you know what I mean? It's like in Scripture, talks about verses about proximity, that he draws near to those who draw mm. near to him, He's mm. near to the brokenhearted. He distances himself from from the prideful. There's movement, so it's not a static force where, you know, I, I can't even understand someone saying, well, he's omnipresent, so I'm not going to ask for more. When you see him move in in situations in Scripture, people have a choice to make. Yeah. Are they going to disobey are they going to reject them you know i mean when jesus healed people some asked him to leave others asked him to stay Mm. you got a choice to make and so i would say yes you can chase after him you can quench his spirit you know you can grieve his spirit and i think the holy spirit this book isn't about the holy spirit per se it's about the presence of god but i address the activity of the holy spirit in our life because so often he's the misunderstood uh, person of the trinity yeah uh, but truly, if we could understand that in God's presence, the fullness of joy is found. And that doesn't mean when I always feel Him, the fullness of joy is found. It's like when I am assured. Of his presence, when I develop and acquire a thirst and a hunger for more of his presence, mm-hmm. I won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. One way or another, he's going to move in my circumstances and reveal his heart to me because he hears the cry of those who fear him mm-hmm. and love him. He he treats his children differently. Yeah. He just does. You read it in scripture. He does. And he loves yeah. us. And I think the more you're assured of that, the more you'll be more attuned to the countless ways he's already showing up in your story. Mm-hmm.
2: We're talking with bestselling author, speaker, and radio host Susie Larson about her brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? You just said something, Susie, that I want to ask as a final question about feeling God's presence. Uh, I think we tend to think, oh, God's with me when I'm feeling good. Can you just unpack that concept a little bit more and tell us what we can hold on to even when we're not feeling good?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Aubrey, and in the book I do talk about how you navigate the silent seasons. Is it ever your fault? Is it is it my fault? Is it mm-hmm. the devil's fault? And mm. and really how, what do you do in those silent seasons? And then in between each chapter there's something, a section called Ponder His Presence where I answer a lot of the oft-asked questions, and one of the questions is feeling good the same as feeling God. And I know we don't have time to dig into both of those things, but it's super important to understand that you know, feeling good isn't always the same as feeling God. Uh, but there are times when he, every good gift comes from Him. When you belly laugh, that's a gift from God. Hmm. You know, when you see a child, that everything in your life that's good is from Him. And so, if you could just personalize it, put a tag on it, to Aubrey from. God. I mean, he's Mm. so personal with us in the ways that he knows you. He gets you. He knows what breaks your heart and makes you smile. And we miss so many of those things. So, you know, if we could start to notice honestly, and you could start to give thanks going, I'm so tethered to a good God. you actually would feel him more often, wow. but it's not to say you're not going to go through seasons or you don't feel him. And right. one of the things that changed it for me in my early years, because of Lyme disease, it, it's still an issue for me today. I'll be honest. It's been a long, hard journey, but there were times where my friends had health and wealth and I had neither. And people tried to give me a formula, you know, if you just had more faith that you know, a plus B always equals C. So you must be missing a step and all that. Mm. And I was always trying to figure out how to navigate the journey, the unpredictable journey, hanging onto the promises, uh, obeying God, pleasing him with my faith, also trying to understand the mystery of him. Mm. And in an old devotional that's just great for sufferers uh, called Streams in the Desert, mm. there was an entry that I, I highlight in this book. And in the there was a story that this woman tells, and she has a dream. And in the dream, she sees three women on their knees before Jesus, and she's standing with the angel. And the angel says, watch what happens and tell them what you think. Well, Jesus goes to the first woman, and he lifts her chin, and he holds her face and rustles her hair and speaks tenderly to her. Well, the next one, he just touches her head, kind of rustles her hair, doesn't say anything. And the third one, he looks away, and he walks away. And the angel said, what did you see? And her interpretation was, well, the first one pleases him. She's all in, and and Jesus is affirming that. The second is one foot in and one foot out, and he's affirming her good choices. And the third one is the disappointment because she's squandering her life. Mm. And the angel said, you couldn't be more wrong. The first one's a brand-new believer and relies heavily on feelings, confirmations, and affirmations, Mm. and who's nurturing and ruling her faith. But the second one is being trained and weaning her off of always having to feel things because, you know what, this is me talking now. His promises are true even when they don't feel true. Yeah, right, right. You cannot mature until you realize my faith is more sturdy than my feelings. Mm. And then the third one is being trained for greatness, and God is teaching her how to know and stand on his love and his truth, Wow! even when there's nothing in her circumstance that speaks to that fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, you can't mature without some point getting past those seasons going, in these seasons I might not feel you, but you're still good. You're still God, and you're still moving my story forward to a glorious conclusion. And uh, this is where we lose it, I think, is His goodness becomes up for grabs when our feelings make us panic. And, hey, I know it firsthand because I've been there. But my my prayer is that the book will be a healing bulb to many Mm. where they can kind of exhale a little bit and go, God is good. His promises are true, and he will make a way for me.
2: Oh, Susie, love hearing your heart. Love hearing about this book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? Hey, where can our listeners find and follow you? Where can they order the book that's out today? Yay,
3: thank you. What an honor to be on the book birthday with you you guys. So fun love it so much. Well, you can get it where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever. Uh, there's a page closer than your next that has all the retailers. If you want to pick one, SusieLarson.com is my website. And then if you want to listen to my, my shows like yours and that it's live on radio, and then it goes to podcast. If you want to go to wherever podcast players are played and just type in Susie Larson live, you'll find it there. It's a
2: great show too. So be sure to do yeah. that. Susie, thanks so much for being here with us today.
3: Loved it. Thanks, both of you, for having me. Thanks.
2: You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Okay, Brian, we, we've we talked enough about, you know, pronoun usage. And the reality yep. is people are using their pronouns as identifiers and pronouns are changing. But uh, call me the old person. There's some new pronouns actually called neo-pronouns. I'm going to be so much older than you in this. Okay. I promise. I, I can't wait to talk about this. So different than, obviously, he, she, um, and they mm-hmm. are these neo-pronouns. Now, I do think that this is rare and um, not widely used. Okay. But there's some uh, the human rights campaign is talking about this, that there are some uh, neopronouns. They're calling them relatively common being used by non-binary and trans people. Um, And I'm going to share them with you. And I'm trying not to be cynical about this, but I think there is a conversation about language breakdown to be had. Okay, Okay?
1: I'll try not to be cynical as well.
2: So uh, one, I'll be honest, my kids, I thought this was a joke. My kids sent me a video where someone was referring to himself as frog and frog self and i thought that was a joke until i'm reading this article at cnn saying that there's someone who refers themselves as star or star self okay so there's that where we just choose sort of whatever we want to i would go by aubrey or aubrey self perhaps um here's some more z and Zer, but it's spelled like x-e-x-y-r Okay. I asked Zier to come to the movie. Z said yes. That sounds like French to me. I asked him. <laughs> Z said yes. Uh, related to that, Z Zee or Zier with Z's. Okay. Faye or Fair. Faye told me that Fair best friend is in town this weekend. This one is hard. A, M, Air. I'm taking M to the park today. A wants to bring Air camera for M self. Another one, A, is my best friend. Okay, here's why people apparently are using neo pronouns for the same reason someone might use she or they. Apparently, neo pronouns better identify and align with one's identity. Now, I am. When still, do I
1: get to say somewhere?
2: Well, let me just go first <laughs> because I've actually been one that I have not necessarily had a problem with he, she, and they. Like that, I've been like, okay, if that helps you feel. Like you belong and you understand your identity and it saves your life, especially if you feel like you're isolated and alone and suicidal. Like use those pronouns. This feels like a total language breakdown to me. And it is ridiculous. And I know I'm Gen Z like I know, but I am struggling. You don't
1: need a qualifier. I have a
2: compassionate, (laughs) empathic heart in a lot of these issues. I'm real struggling with this one because this is so individualistic that it's absurd.
1: It's lunacy. It makes no sense. Yeah. I think calling it the breakdown of the of the uh, language is a good way to put it. Yeah. But it is just, I got to be honest, this article is at CNN that you read from. Yeah. And as I read it, like.
2: They're making a case for it throughout history, which I'm like, can, no.
1: Can I just, like, as you're reading it, you're like, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, yeah. like 10 to 20 years. But, like, you're like. Is Ashton Kutcher going to jump out here and punk us like say those who punked? Or, <laughs> my family loves watching Practical Jokers. Like, is yeah. this like Sal and these guys? Yeah, this is craziness. And the, the, I guess the question is, where does it end? I saw a yeah. comedian did a funny video. Again, I'm not being very empathetic here, but I'm the old guy in the room, right? Yeah. Uh, his son was dating a girl, and he came in. It, they, were, they were like showing it, and this was the comedy sketch the son it was like who's on first the old habidan custom oh, thing the son was trying to tell his dad that his girlfriend goes by they
2: okay oh that's and funny and he kept
1: go the dad was like trying to be nice to the son yeah. he's like oh uh did you have fun with her do you mean they was there more than one person there <laughs> funny. and it was yeah. h- it was who it was our generation who's on first right. the and custom right. thing right right and I don't know, like this has just gotten crazy. I think I get, thing- it, I get it and I still don't necessarily agree with it. I still am like, yeah. I just don't get yeah. the changing of the pronouns, but I can at least see how people get to he, she, that I mm-hmm. understand whether I agree with it or not. I understand yeah. Yeah. how you get there. Yeah. This stuff is just made up words. Even in the CNN article, they're not going A-E means that. Right. They're just made up. Right. I call myself. I'll call myself, you know, Met-tastic. Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. like people, names and the pronouns, and they mean nothing in this scenario. And that's what's just weird about it. I
2: think that's what's getting harder and harder for me to handle. And I do feel like there's, of course, like as a shepherd, as a pastor, you're going to welcome and love everybody, no matter what pronouns they're using and point them to Jesus and watch mm-hmm. Jesus transform lives. So I would never put a boundary up and be like, I will not engage with someone who's using Fay or f- zeer or whatever but it, it, the, this breakdown of language is like what feels very confusing to me. And if we can't, it kind of even goes back to I know this is a weird stretch, but like let's take, for example, Trump either won the election or lost the election. And we could not agree based on where we were on the truth of that. Our mm. ontol- ontology we couldn't agree on. And this starts to be some of that breakdown too. If we can't even agree on like language, how are we going to be like a unified people? And maybe I am the old lady in the room saying well, but that but it's just like it's it's very confusing to me. And I know language changes over time. It just always has it always will. Um it's so individualistic yeah. that it you're not now you're not caring for the community you're in.
1: And to Christians, language matters. Yep. We have a we have a book, God's word, and there has to be some agreement. Yeah, uh, and we joke on the show all the time. Like I'm, I fit the age where I can't understand what my kids are saying, but this is different. Yeah, this is like identity markers. These mm-hmm. are this, and you know, uh, there's people who said you start, you open the door a little bit, and it just flow. Mm-hmm. And sure, but the stuff in this article is just lunacy. It's just craziness. And I would, th- here's the funny thing, or maybe it's not funny. I'm pretty confident my kids would think this is lunacy, too. Uh,
2: so this is what's funny. I did read it to my kids, and they started laughing hysterically. And then they start yes. making jokes, like, well, my pronouns are hot and cool. Yes. And mine are video game awesome and blah. You know, the, I don't think this is
1: a generational thing. I
2: don't think it is either. I think this is probably rare. I think it's prob- maybe certain cities that you live in compared to other cities. Uh, but it'll be interesting you know it'll be yes. interesting over time to see how the language continues to change and how we respond to it i think too is going to be interesting all right coming up next like i said we're joined by andre henry he's writing about political depression and how to um work on positive action in the mm-hmm. middle of that can be really interesting to chat with him when we return you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life
1: man and i are excited to be joined uh by author and musician Andre Henry Andre how you doing today I'm doing well thanks Yeah we're really glad to have you with mm-hmm. us so much to talk about uh was just reading your bio Andre and you said some you've got a great phrase in here that I'd love for you to unpack it says that your work is focused on resilience and revolution in the face of quote political depression mm. could you unpack that two word phrase political depression for me
4: yeah, well, I can't take credit for it, okay. first off. It comes from a book called Depression, a Public Feeling by, um, I have it over here, Ann Svetkovich is where I lifted this language, but it describes uh, a feeling that I'm familiar with, and I'm sure many others are, where it's a kind of despair or depression that we are experiencing because of the social conditions that we live under. mm
2: Mm -hmm. You've, Andre, recently released an EP called Make It to Tomorrow that focuses on mental health and resilience. Is that in light of this political depression, in light of the past several years? Like, talk to us a little bit about that.
4: Yeah. So, you know, all of my work is linked to um, feelings. You know, I've always been a big, I've always had big feelings, been a deep feeler and um it kind of came to a head in 2016 when i you know america watched a man named peleno castillo bleed to death yeah, in yeah, his car yeah. in front of his girlfriend and their 4-year-old daughter mm. and um i remember feeling really distraught for several weeks and having a, a vision that really changed my life where i was walking around in this vision with a with a hundred pound boulder, you know, mm-hmm. and on on that boulder was written like things like the names of other civilians who'd been killed in police encounters, um, you know, social structures uh, like, you know, white supremacy, all those kinds of things are on this boulder. And I ended up actually doing that for several months. Mm-hmm. And that was really the beginning, even at the time I wouldn't have phrased it like this, you know, um, that was the beginning of me framing you know mental health and racial justice together Mm. right and this is just science honestly like any the experience of othering whatever kind of othering it might be has psychological and physical effects on our actual bodies and so I say that's a long way of answering this question but yeah they'll make it to the Morrow ep like a lot of my work comes out of that idea that I was trying to express with the boulder saying, like, this is what racism feels like in my body, on my body. So there's a title track to the EP called Make It to Tomorrow where I'm singing about, you know, like I'm talking myself through, making it through this bout of suicidal ideation, you Mm -hmm. know. And a lot of that does come from not just, you know when we talk about depression everyone you know first wants to talk about okay, what's your relationship with your mother like you know what that's I mean right. like
0: you
3: know, like,
4: you know it's, it''s always so like uh, personal individual chemical, medical mm. but we're bypassing the fact that living under conditions where you are experiencing othering you know whether that's on the individual level the systemic level like that is bad for your mental health too. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's where the EP comes from.
2: That's
1: amazing. That picture of the boulder uh, just yeah. wondering what did you do with that? Cause yeah. I'm guessing there's some people out there who go, yeah, I kind of, I never really thought of that imagery, but I do feel like I'm carrying a boulder mm-hmm. or for whatever else it would be. What's a word to somebody out there who feels that what, what was your steps of action?
4: Well, Literally, I took that boulder everywhere. (laughs) I took it to class and work interviews and work and job interviews. And I took it everywhere to make that point that when we enter a room, Hmm. like all the stuff that pertains to our life enters with us, right? You know, and I feel like we are pressured to go through life as though, you know, these things that we're encountering every day, these adversities are not you know, that they're not affecting us, Mm. you know? And so that's partly why I was dragging it around with me. Mm. So what I ended up doing over the next several years was doing everything that I could to just share my story. Right. And this is what I'm thinking about a lot lately is that your story is not just a story about your personal life. Your story is actually uh, evidence about the type of world that we live in. Mm. And so In many ways, you know, like Henry Nowen said, what is most personal is often most universal, Hmm. because we assume that we are the only ones or sometimes we can be tempted to assume that we're the only ones experiencing this kind of adversity. Or if others are, then we're no one's experiencing it like I am right right now. Right. But when we share our stories, we discover that what you're going through is what a lot of people are going through. Right. And if we dig deeper into that, the reason why a lot of people are going through it is probably because there's some kind of policy, there's some kind of cultural idea, there's some kind of system or structure that validates, justifies, perpetuates, and operationalizes that idea or ideology, right? So I started really, you know, sharing my story. That's where I started, you know, and... You'd be surprised how many people in your own social circle, your own circle of influence can have their minds changed just by hearing from someone that they know and love mm. and trust, you know, talk about this thing. But the dark side of that is where my book comes from is like, you know, all yeah. the white friends I couldn't keep yeah. is me sharing my story, my experiences and eventually my expertise because I have studied nonviolent struggle and a lot of people, you know, rejecting me because of that, mm. you know. Um, I, do. I just want to say one more thing yeah, about go ahead. That is that because the other side of the activism piece is what I've been learning a lot lately, which is why you discover, you saw my bio that I talk about resilience and yeah. revolution
2: Yeah.
4: because the first sight of I said the other day, the first site of oppression is my own body. And someone corrected me and said, that's also the first site of liberation.
3: Wow. <laughs>
4: yeah. Whichever you want to say, whichever way you want to frame it or say it, is that like i said before these experiences literally have physical effects on our body they shorten lives because it, it puts us under more stress and stress is not great for and I, you know there's there's some forces there's some forms of stress that are not good for you yes. especially experiencing them on a regular basis and so the more that we learn to care for ourselves our souls our bodies we're actually strengthening ourselves to live in this world and to be able to change it hmm.
2: Andre, this is kind of a big question. We only have a minute or so left, but I, yeah. you, you kind of just talked about this with your book, with your EP. You're writing about really hard, I mean, systemic evil and injustice, right?
3: Yeah. And, and yeah.
2: that's heavy ground. That's hard ground. And yet yeah. somehow in it, you're not denying that you're being very real and raw about that, but also talking about this positive action for well-being and you yeah. just kind of you just kind of made that connection for us, but could you go a little bit deeper? Like I don't really even know what I'm asking, Andre. But in the midst of fighting really hard ground and saying what's yeah. true, how do you also focus on positive action?
4: Yeah, well, there are a couple of things that I would say to that. One is that um, I'm not an optimist, you yeah, know? Mm-hmm. and the reason why comes from. A, Gosh, Rebecca Solnit, who talked about how, you know, basically optimists and pessimists kind of have the same point of view. They they believe, you know, the pessimist believes that everything will work out okay without any reason to back that up, right? And uh, 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 sorry, sorry, optimists yeah, yeah. believe everything will be okay without any without any reason to back that yes. up, right? And pessimists say everything's going to turn out terribly. But uh, Rebecca Solnit says that both people excuse themselves from action. Right. Mm. And so I am a hopeful person and I'm a person practicing resilience because I I know it as a historical fact that when ordinary people organize themselves to confront systemic injustice, they win. Mm. You know, mm. it's it's, so it's, a, it's it's a historical and sociological fact. You know, mm-hmm. now not we mo- we don't win every battle necessarily, <laughs> you know, but we have won over uh, systemic evil that's been way bigger, way formidable than us throughout history. Yeah. So that's one thing that I lean on, you know, and I'm constantly feeding myself on those stories. That's good. The other thing that I'm learning is that the goal of oppression is not just to exploit people. Uh, uh, exploit people economically it's not just to disenfranchise them politically it's also to crush your soul right and since y'all are pastors uh, let me go there right in exodus when moses goes back to the israelites to tell them about this god that he's met in the wilderness that intends to free them it says that they were so demoralized they couldn't even hear him Mm. Mm. and and that is a huge goal of oppressive systems they did the same thing in Robben Island prison in South Africa during wow. Yeah. when you talk to those prisoners they say they wanted to crush our spirits mm. but they lost mm. they failed mm. right mm. and so when we are doing the resilience work in our souls in our bodies we are actually creating this kind of i'm going to borrow from uh from Svetkovic again, she said, "Somatic and emotional sovereignty, right? So it's like that attempt to crush the spirit doesn't work, yeah, mm. because because we have the skills, not just to have. I, I hate saying just strong because when I say strong, people think of like rocks and things like yeah, that, yeah,
2: like, right. That.
4: But strength is flexibility is also a type of strength, yeah." Right. you know and so it gives our souls that elasticity mm. right our spirits that elasticity to be energy. able to withstand the spiritual and the and the and the the, the yeah the, i'll say i'll say it like that those spiritual attacks of, of oppression
3: mm.
1: so andre it's great to have you with us where can people connect with you if they want to follow you online or uh listen to your music read your books where can they connect with you
4: yeah, best place is my website, AndreHenry.co, where, you know, I you can link to all of that stuff, right? It's yeah. like a hub, you know, mm-hmm. and I have an email list there if people want to sign up, and I send out updates. So anytime I release a song, I write an article, whatever. I, and I also send out every week, I send out insight about um, taking positive action, about resilience, and cool. stuff, you know, that's standing out to me these that, days. That's great. Andre, thanks
1: so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Have a good one. So we appreciate all of you staying with us all day today. We hope that you have a great evening. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 until 6 p.m. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160.
0: Hope for your life.